you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open it with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we're going to pick back up in our study of Mark's gospel. And today we come to the end of chapter 10, Mark 10, verses 46 through 45. We've been in the chapters 9 and 10 uh, in our second half of the study of Mark's gospel for uh, several months now, many weeks at least. And in these chapters, we've been looking at what we've called the disciple discourses, the teachings that Jesus is giving uh, to his disciples as he's making his way to Jerusalem. And today, those teachings, those lessons come to their conclusion. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read, beginning with verse 46, and would encourage you to follow along and hear God's word today. Mark 10, beginning with verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we give our thanks to you now for this, your holy word. And Lord, your word is true. Your word, it never fails. The grass, it withers. The flowers, they fade. But the word of God stands forever. And so, Lord, we pray today for grace to trust you more. Father, I pray that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, would be my helper today as I speak your word. May it go forth in demonstration and power, and may you use it, O oh Lord, to accomplish your eternal purposes. And Father, I pray, give us ears that we would hear, so that we may have eyes that could see, and hearts that would then believe. Father, we pray and ask for all of this now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we come to the end of the disciple discourses that Jesus has shown us and given to us as he's walked on the way to Jerusalem, uh, we come to the end of the first scene in the second half of Mark's gospel. So if you think about it in terms of a play, Mark's gospel comes to us in two acts, two main acts. The first act is roughly Mark 1 through Mark 8 kind of concluding with the great confession that Peter gives, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then we pick it back up with Act 2, starting in Mark 9. 
Well, in Act 2, there are two scenes that unfold, two parts to that act. The second scene is about to begin in chapter 11. Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem for the climactic moment of his ministry, the cross that he's destined to go to. Our text today gives us the the final words of the first scene in that second act. Uh, The final scene on the way to Jerusalem. But I want you to know this morning that there's more to this text than what's happening in history. There's more to this text than what's happening in the chronological fashion of its unfolding. Now, I've said this, this to you a few times in our study of Mark's gospel, but I'm reminding you again this morning because I think it's immensely important. Mark, in giving us his gospel, is not just presenting us a mere history. He's giving us a theology. He's writing to us a gospel, a new genre of literature almost. Let me be clear, there's certainly history recorded for us in the pages of the gospel. What we read about Jesus, his disciples, all of these events in Mark 9 and Mark 10 and even our event today, they are actual history, real events that occurred. And as we have looked at them in our study of Mark's gospel, most of them have come to us in a chronological ordering. Mark is kind of tracing the ministry of Jesus as it unfolded, as it took place. But that history, with its unfolding, is telling us, speaking to us, the spiritual story of the gospel. Mark's gospel is not primarily historical, nor chronological, but spiritual in its approach. And it's important that we understand that with this text. Because if we just look at it on the surface, what we see is Jesus' next stop on the way to Jerusalem. And what we see is a blind man who receives physical sight. That's the chronological aspect and the historical aspect. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He comes to the city of Jericho. And while he's in Jericho, he encounters this blind beggar named Bartimaeus and restores his sight. And we're right to note both of those things. We should see those things. They are important. I don't want to give the impression that they don't have any bearing. Yes, this really happened. Yes, this blind man did see. Yes, it was in the actual town of Jericho. All of that is real. But the text is about more than the history and the chronology that's here. In fact, it's about more than physical sight being restored. This text before us at the end of Mark 10 is about spiritual sight. It's about seeing spiritually. It's not about seeing physically. It's not about seeing with eyes that are in our head, but rather about seeing with eyes that are in our hearts. J.C. Ryle is an Anglican bishop from generations ago, and in his commentary on this passage, he says, in this text, we have a vivid emblem of spiritual things. In this text, we have a vivid emblem of spiritual things, and I think he's absolutely correct. He says, this is a picture for us, which ought to be deeply interesting to the soul of every Christian. So my claim is that of Riles, that this text is not about the physical, but about the spiritual. 
Not about seeing out of your head, but seeing from your heart. Now, I believe that not because J.C. Ryle said it, but for some other reasons. One of the most important is that this passage before us isn't just about a blind man, but about blind men. Let me say that again. This passage before us is not just about a blind man, Bartimaeus, but blind men. In fact, I I think I could make the argument that Bartimaeus is the least blind person in the passage. Text is not about a blind man, but blind men. Because it's a text that's not about the importance of physical sight, but the importance of spiritual sight. This is something that Jesus has been pressing in the second half of Mark's gospel. It's something that he has been calling his disciples to over and over and over again. Make sure you see things spiritually. I'm not talking about seeing ghosts or spirits or anything like that, but make sure you see with eyes of faith. Go back with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Find verse 17. Now this is the conclusion of the first half of Mark's gospel. Mark 8 begins with Jesus feeding a multitude with just very little. And then coming off of that, as we have seen Jesus do, he seeks to give instruction to his disciples. He tells them, beware of the leaven or the bread of the Pharisees and Herod. He's charging them to take note uh, that what they're teaching, what they're preaching, how they're living is not right. It does not save. It gets you nowhere with God. He says, watch out for their sinful message and ways. The disciples hear this and they're kind of taken aback. They're you know, not really getting what Jesus is saying. They think he's talking about physical bread. Jesus isn't. He's using the physical to speak to the spiritual, and they can't get that understood. They can't, they can't grasp that. So Jesus says to them in Mark 8, verse 17, listen to this. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Jesus says, I'm not about the physical right now. I'm trying to talk to you about spiritual things. He says, are your hearts hardened? And then listen to what he says in verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Jesus is looking to a group of guys that every one of them has eyeballs. Every one of them can see him physically, but he's helping them realize they don't see spiritually. Do you have eyes but not see, ears but do not hear? Now, it shouldn't be lost upon us that after that encounter with his disciples, the very next thing that happens in Mark 8, verses 22 through 26, is Jesus healing a blind man, this time in the city of Bethsaida. And this is an interesting miracle in the ministry of Jesus. It takes shape in two parts, two steps, if you will. And that process doesn't happen because Jesus is somehow lacking in power. It's not like he does something and there's not enough unction there to get it all the way completed. He has to recharge and come back and do something else. No, he does it in this format, in this process, kind of as a symbolic lesson that, hey, you guys are kind of blinded right now. You're like this blind guy. And something happens and then you see just a little bit. You get a bit of a glimpse but you still aren't seeing clearly. You're still not getting the real picture. It's fuzzy. 
And then Jesus touches this blind man's eyes again, and then suddenly he sees clearly, and his life is transformed. That's kind of what's happening in the disciples. And we know that because immediately after that, the end of Mark chapter 8, Peter gives his confession. You are the Christ, the Son of God. This is what Mark's gospel is all about. And so it seems as if, yes, Peter has finally started to see. He's finally getting the the glimpse that Jesus wants him to have. And, And there's a glimmer of hope there, but it doesn't last long. Because Peter gives that bold confession. You remember that? And then Jesus tells him, uh, yes, that's right, but the Son of Man is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. And after three days, he will rise again. And Mark says, Jesus said this to them plainly, clearly, on their level. They heard what he was saying. And you know what Peter says? (laughs) That ain't going to happen. You remember this? Peter says, no, that's not going to happen to you. I'm not going to let anybody do anything to you, Jesus. And you remember what Jesus does? He rebukes Peter. Right there in the presence of them all. You remember how he rebukes him? He says, get behind me, Satan. In that moment, he said, Peter, you're doing the work of Satan because you're keeping me from what I'm destined for, the cross. So they kind of see, but it's still not quite clear. There's a further work, a further revelation, more clarity that needs to be given. And as we move through chapter 9, as we move through chapter 10, this is what's unfolding with Jesus and the disciples. There's encounter after encounter, teaching moment after teaching moment. We think they get it, they don't quite. We think they get it, they don't quite. Jesus puts a child in the midst. This is what you need to be like. These are the people you need to care for. They just don't get it. They keep missing it. And then we come to the end of chapter 10. And what we have is the last healing miracle recorded for us in Mark's gospel. And it's not coincidence that it's a blind man receiving his sight. It's in this place, in this moment, where clarity is about to begin to come in. Seeing spiritually and seeing clearly is about to begin to unfold. Because following this now, it becomes clear why Jesus has come, what he's doing at the cross, and ultimately his triumph in the resurrection. So we've got to see that this morning. We've got to know that this isn't about a physical miracle, but rather it's a fierce physical miracle that is given to teach us about important spiritual truths, namely that we would see, that we would see, that our hearts would receive sight. What we realize is that Bartimaeus was blind in his body, but he was not blind in his soul. He could see clearly. And this is the conclusion that Jesus draws. This is, this is where Jesus ties this encounter up. When we get to the end of Mark chapter 10, the very last verse that I read to you, Jesus says to Bartimaeus, go your way. Listen to this. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says this encounter that you and I just had, it's centered around faith that you have expressed. Faith that you have demonstrated. And Jesus says that faith has made you well. That word well is an interesting word in the Greek language. It's the Greek word sozo. S-O-Z-O. It's how we would transliterate it into the English language, sozo. And it's a word that can carry ideas of physical healing. But more so than that, 
It's a word used in the Greek language and in the Bible as well in the New Testament to convey spiritual well-being, spiritual healing. There's another Greek word that is used by the gospel writers that that conveys a healing that comes about physically through a miracle that Jesus has performed. Uh, He was healed physically, but this word puts the emphasis not on seeing with physical eyes, but the fact that spiritually... Bartimaeus has seen, and Bartimaeus is now well spiritually. So this is where we've got to go in the text this morning. We've got to realize that this isn't just a physical moment, but a deeply spiritual one. Now, I love outlines. Uh, I enjoy being able to stand up here each morning and uh, do my best to present you an outline that can help you walk through the text. I think they are beneficial And if you're like that and you love outlines, you're going to be disappointed today because I don't have an outline for you. I appreciate A.T.'s words this morning, all these hours of study and prayer and preparation that I've put in, and now I stand up here and tell you I can't even give you an outline. It's not because I didn't want to. Oh, I tried. I ran outline after outline after outline through my head of how I could break this passage down for you. But I think if we were to do that, it would be more detrimental than beneficial. I think if we were to just try to to, to put an outline upon this text, it becomes like your frog in sixth grade science class. You remember that one, don't you? The one that you dissected, and by the time you got done, what you had in front of you didn't resemble what it was when it started. You take a part into pieces, and then you lose the whole. I don't want us to lose the whole today. I want to make sure that we understand the importance of seeing spiritually. So I just want to walk you through the text. We'll go verse by verse, couple some verses together, see what's unfolding, and then hopefully with the help of the Spirit, I can give to you some applications of this. How what we see happening in this moment can shape your life so that you can hopefully have good spiritual vision as well. So let's walk through the text this morning. Let's start at the beginning. It's always a good place uh, to get things rolling. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. Now this is not Old Testament Jericho per se, but New Testament Jericho. Old Testament Jericho in the book of Joshua, the walls came a tumbling down. Uh, Still kind of a, a semblance of that, but there was a new Jericho established as well. It's kind of a hustling and bustling place. It was about 15 to 18 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. So what we realize is that Jesus is now close. This is the final leg of the journey that he's been making toward Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem. He stays for some period of time. We don't really know how long. But he was leaving, the middle of the verse, Jericho, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, A blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So this is the scene. Jesus has been in Jericho. He's now leaving Jericho. His disciples are there with him. That would include the 12, the others among the followers that have been with Jesus on this journey. But there's also a great crowd with him again. That's not surprising. We've seen that many times in our study of Mark's gospel. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's a great crowd. But it's perhaps even bigger than before. Because Jesus is heading to Jerusalem because the Passover is at hand. And there would be many traveling that way as well. And Jericho was a hub on that journey. So the crowds are even larger than before. And the fame of Jesus is more known than before. And so this crowd is perhaps the greatest it's ever been. 
So you got Jesus, you got the disciples, uh, you got a great crowd. They're leaving Jericho together, heading towards Jerusalem. And in this weird juxtaposition in the text, this, this weird sandwiching, sandwiching together, next we have Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, sitting on the roadside. Isn't that an odd contrast? I think so. We, we go from Jesus, disciples, great crowd, Bartimaeus. Just like that. We, we go from something that's very large to zeroing in on this one particular beggar. His name is Bartimaeus. It literally means the son of Timaeus. Mark gives us that. He basically says it in redundancy. This is Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus. And then he adds the son of Timaeus. Because he's writing to a largely Greek audience. They wouldn't have necessarily understood the implications of the, the Hebrew name. But his name means son of Timaeus. This is, this is TJ. This is Timaeus Jr. here. The name Timaeus is an interesting word. It carries the root word, carries the idea of time. You see that there, right? Timaeus, time. That word is built off of a word, teo, which means value. That which is prized. So his name has this idea of being highly prized, highly valuable, but that's the complete opposite of the life that he has. Because he's just a beggar, blinded and sitting on the roadside. It would be hard to express how debilitating that particular condition would have been in Bartimaeus' days. He was entirely dependent upon someone else. Thankfully, he seemed to have a good location where he could be placed each day, day after day, sitting on the gates, uh, outside the gates, leaving Jericho, and he would beg alms from everyone who came by. This is the scene. The hustling, bustling, thronging crowd around Jesus and his disciples, and then a spotlight upon this, this one blind, destitute beggar. Then we come to verse 47. And when he, that is Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 47 is, is an incredibly important verse in the passage. And there's an incredibly important word at the beginning of this verse. If you mark in your Bible or you make notes, I would encourage you to make note of that word heard. It's hugely important. Bart couldn't see a thing. He was blind, but he could hear. And oh, the hearing that he had. He heard. He was blind. He, he couldn't see, but he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. The crowd is coming through the gates. They're along this way, leaving Jericho. And he hears the rumoring, the murmuring. He hears the hustle. He hears the bustle. He hears the conversation. Perhaps you, you know someone whose sight has been taken from them. They're blind. You know, in many instances, those who have lost that one particular sense develop the skill of uh, uh, better senses. And one of those things that they often have is hearing. Those who can't see often hear exceptionally well because they're tuned in to everything that's happening around them. That's Bartimaeus. He was tuned in. He was hearing the hustle, the bustle. He was hearing the conversations. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And as they get close to him, he begins to cry out. And what does he say? Jesus, 
of Nazareth. No. That's not what he says at all, is it? This is another contrast that's unfolding here in the text. The crowd is talking about Jesus of Nazareth, but when Bartimaeus speaks, he says, Jesus, son of David. Wow. This is so telling. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus couldn't see, but he could hear, and it was his hearing that would lead to him believing and seeing spiritually. I'm going to say more about that a little bit later. He couldn't see, but he could hear. And he had heard all the conversations about Jesus. He had heard uh, the fame of Jesus that had spread through the countryside. He had heard about other blinded eyes open. He had heard about the, the dead being uh, raised. He had heard about miracle after miracle. He had heard the messages and the teachings that Jesus had given. And he's come to this conclusion of who Jesus is, that he is not just Jesus of Nazareth, but he is Jesus, the son of David. That identity, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is true, certainly. That's Jesus' hometown. That's where uh, uh, Joseph and Mary had to come from to be counted in the census. That, that, that's all right. Yes. But that tag, Nazareth, applied to Jesus, had a little bit of ridicule in it. It wasn't quite honoring. True, yes, but... It was a way of looking down on him in some aspects as well. You remember when Nathaniel heard the news of Jesus? He was told, we found Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. What does he say? Anything good come out of Nazareth? Ain't nothing good in Nazareth. And in fact, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, they reject him entirely as well. I mean, it's kind of like this idea that, you know, people in Georgia, we pick on people in Alabama. People in Alabama, they pick on people in Mississippi. And that's what they're doing here with Jesus of Nazareth, picking on him for where he was from. But not so with Bartimaeus. He had heard all that had been said, and he says, this is not just Jesus of Nazareth, but this is Jesus, the son of David. This is a messianic title that's attached to Jesus here. This is, this is Bartimaeus looking and, and seeing and hearing and believing that Jesus is the Messiah. It's only used here in Mark's gospel that this is David's greater son who was prophesied and promised to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. That's what I believe about this man, Jesus. He is the son of David, and he cries out for mercy. Have mercy on me. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what he was coming to do, and he says, I need mercy. Bartimaeus understood his condition, especially in this culture, in this day. Blindness especially was seen as some sort of judgment for sin. You remember in John's gospel, I think it's John chapter 6, they had the encounter with the blind man there, and the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, no, you've got that wrong. He was born blind that you may see the glory of God. But in this culture, blindness was kind of a, an understanding of judgment for sin. And now we have Bartimaeus saying, I need mercy. He understands who Jesus is. He understands who he is, his condition, his identity as a sinner. Now in the presence of the son of David, the son of God, the Messiah. And he asks for mercy. Mercy is the act of withholding that which we rightfully deserve. Uh, 
Bartimaeus realizes, I need mercy. I deserve judgment. I deserve blindness. I deserve all that has been given to me, but I'm asking you for mercy. Oh, what a request. What a cry. Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul would write, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you walked according to your own natural sinful desires, and you were by your very nature children of wrath. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Isn't it interesting? We, we see it a little bit further in the text. In verse 51, Jesus Ask Bartimaeus when he gets him uh, there to himself, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question we heard him ask James and John previously in Mark 10. James and John said, uh, we want majesty. We want glory. We want seats. Bartimaeus says, I just want mercy. I just want my sight. I just want to see. Oh, what a cry. Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 40. 48, they're rebuking him. We've seen that over and over again in Mark's gospel. Be quiet, hush, get out of the way, you old blind beggar. We don't have time for you, but he is unrelenting more and more. Have mercy on me, son of David. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then we come to verse 49. And Jesus stopped. Again, if you want to make notes, if you want to mark your Bible, I would under, underline, underscore, circle, whatever I had to do. That word stopped. Jesus stopped. Don't miss this. I, I, I've been preaching to you in these chapters 9 and 10 that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got his face set like flint to get to Jerusalem because he has an appointment there that he must keep, a cross that he is destined to go to. He is unrelenting. In fact, the last time we were in Mark's gospel, we saw that Jesus was leading the way there. And the disciples and the 12 were looking at him with amazement and fear. This guy will not stop. He is going to Jerusalem and he's going to be killed there, but he is going nonetheless. He's a man on a mission, but don't miss this. He stopped. He stopped. Jesus stopped on his way to the most important event in his ministry, he stopped for this man who was crying out to him. He heard his cry. Psalm 34, verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. What a beautiful picture. What we begin to realize is that what Jesus is going to do at the cross, that mission, that ministry, it involves what he's doing here with Bartimaeus as well. Jesus stops, and he calls him. And in verse 49, we've got a bit of comic relief that unfolds. At least I think it's kind of humorous. Jesus stops. The whole entourage stops. He says, I hear this, this cry of mercy. I hear someone acknowledging my identity, their need for mercy. He hears that. He stops, and then he he wants to see. And so the crowd suddenly goes 180 degrees in the opposite direction, right? Hush, Bart. TJ, keep it quiet. Nobody's got time for you. Get out of the way. There's a big crowd coming. Quit hollering for Jesus. He is a busy man. And he stops and he says, I want to hear from that man. 
And all of a sudden the crowd's going, oh, good news. He wants to see you. Come on, let's get over here. Let's, let's go see Jesus. I mean, it's like a complete 180 in, in their approach. Now they're saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Oh, isn't this what Jesus does? He just turns everything on his head. He turns everything in this world upside down. Or maybe we should say right side up. But it's interesting, isn't it? One of the last lessons that Jesus gave to his disciples, what we saw in the request of James and John, is that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And the greatest among you is the servant of all. And here's Jesus putting into practice what he has just preached. He's calling for this blind beggar to come. Verse 51, they bring him to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Verse 50, uh, just a quick note here. All these verbs that Mark pushes together. Bartimaeus throws off his cloak. He springs up. He's brought to Jesus. In verse 51, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't want a seat. He wants to see. He doesn't want majesty. He wants mercy. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. That word rabbi right there in, in verse 51, it's given to us that way in the ESV and I believe in the NIV translation as well, but all other translations render it differently. The underlying word is not just rabbi, but it's rabboni. It's the same word that Mary Magdalene speaks in John chapter 20 where she encounters the resurrected Christ on the first Easter morning. She's gone to the tomb. The body's gone. Stones rolled away. She doesn't know what to do. She looks back in. The angels are there. And then she turns around to leave, and she encounters who she thinks is the gardener. Just tell me where you've taken him. Tell me what you did with the body. I'll, I'll go and get it. Just tell me where he's at. And then he speaks her name, Mary. And the next words out of her mouth are Rabboni. Now, it's akin to rabbi, which we've heard. They both have some overlap in their meaning. Rabbi is, is the typical term used for teacher. Rabboni carries that connotation as well, but it stretches it even farther, or maybe I should say takes it even deeper. Rabboni, which is what uh, Bartimaeus actually says here, means not just teacher, but master, Lord. Some of your translations may render it that way. He, he's not just a teacher to Bartimaeus. He is master. He is Lord. He is one whom he is placing himself under and giving his life over in surrender to. And he says, let me recover my sight. In verse 52, Jesus says, go your way. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then notice this. And immediately he received his physical sight and followed him on the way. Isn't that interesting? That Bartimaeus' way became the way Jesus was going. When we see clearly, when we see spiritually, our way is going to line up with Jesus' way. And if your way is not lining up with Jesus' way, your eyes aren't seeing right. Bartimaeus had spiritual sight. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what he needed from him. He had committed his life over to him. He had faith and was made well. And then he followed Jesus on the way, on the way to Jerusalem, where a cross was waiting. 
J.C. Ryle says we should strive for a like precious faith as we see in Bartimaeus in this text. Well, how can we do that? Let me give you these three action steps. Number one, make sure you see Jesus clearly. Make sure you see Jesus clearly. And as I say that, I hope you ask the question in your head, well, how do I do that? I mean, it's clear we're not talking about physical eyes, so how do I see Jesus clearly spiritually? Well, I think it begins by understanding that our spiritual eyes are blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world, little g, speaking of Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who are lost, lest they should see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In ourselves and of ourselves, in our sinful nature, we are blinded to who Jesus is. That doesn't mean we can't know things about Jesus. There's multitudes of people who know a lot of things about Jesus, but they don't see Jesus for who he is or why he has come. They're blinded to his purpose. They see him as Jesus of Nazareth, but they know nothing of him as Jesus, son of David. Our eyes are blinded. So how then can we see clearly? This is the word I wanted you to take note of. Bartimaeus heard. He heard. The emphasis falls on his hearing, not on his physical seeing. How do we see spiritually? We see spiritually by hearing. Hearing leads to seeing. Seeing leads to believing. That's why what you're doing this morning is of such great spiritual importance. Hearing the word of God. You don't believe me? Listen to what Paul says, Romans 10. Listen to what he says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So he's talking about calling and believing. How will they believe in him in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And here's Paul's conclusion. Faith, seeing spiritually, seeing from your heart who Jesus is, it comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The way to spiritual sight is through hearing the word of God, listening, listening actively, listening carefully, listening with a desire to obey completely. I wonder, is that how you're listening today? Bartimaeus heard, and it was his hearing that let him see. Oh, it'll be the same for you. We can't see Jesus with our bodily eyes. But we have the report of his power and grace and his willingness to save given to us in his word. So we must hear that word. Peter says it's a word that is more fully confirmed to which we do well to pay attention to. I wonder, do you see clearly because you hear carefully? I hate to say it to you, but this is the most boring time in your week. I'm concerned about your spiritual sight. If you wake up on Sunday and go, my gosh, i got to go hear that guy preach another sermon again, I worry about your spiritual sight. Oh, we should long to come to hear the word of God because faith comes from hearing. You want your faith to increase? Hear what God says in his word and obey it. That's what Bartimaeus did. Secondly, 
Call on Jesus boldly. Call on Jesus boldly. What a beautiful picture we have of Bartimaeus doing this. Let me just give you a reminder. Jesus is not too busy for you. I'm going to say that again because somebody probably needs to hear that this morning. Jesus is not too busy for you. And the glorious good news that we see in the text as well is that he hears our cries. He hears our cries. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are probably in a hard season. You're in a hard spot. And you're thinking, man, this is never going to end. Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a financial season, physical season. Whatever it is, he hears your cry to him. He takes note. You're not insignificant to him. He stops. He hears. But I think more importantly, what we need to realize, the call here in the text is a call boldly on Jesus to save. God, I need your mercy. You know why Bartimaeus issued that call? Because he knew who Jesus was and he knew who he was. He knew his condition. He knew where he stood. He knew there was no hope apart from this son of David. Now listen to what one commentator says. He says, what is the reason that men are so half-hearted in seeking Christ? Why are they so soon deterred and checked and discouraged and drawing near to God? He says, the answer is short and it's simple. They do not feel sufficiently their own sins. They are not thoroughly convinced of the plague of their own hearts and the disease of their own souls. Only once a man sees his own guilt as it really is, will he ever rest. He will never rest until he has found pardon and peace in Christ. It is those who, like Bartimaeus, who really know their own deplorable condition, who persevere like Bartimaeus and are finally healed. When you realize who you really are before a holy God, you'll cry out like Bartimaeus did. I need mercy. I can demand nothing from him. If everything I received from him in the eyes of this world was rotten and sour and ill and bad in their eyes, it's still more than I deserve from him. Mercy is what I need, and he is rich in it. Maybe you realize today my soul needs that mercy. Maybe you realize today just the sinner that you are, and, and you despise your sin. You despise the fact that you have sinned against the holy God, and you're wondering, what help is there for me? Call upon him. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on him boldly and call on him today, for today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then third, what do we take with Bartimaeus and apply to our lives? Live for Jesus faithfully. Live for Jesus faithfully. If you've seen the glory of Jesus, if you've seen the glory of his gospel, you've realized your need for mercy and that he is the only one who can give it, let your life be lived for him. Let his way become your way. Jesus said, go your way, Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus said, the only way I'm going is the way you go. Where you lead, I will follow. Let us live faithfully because we've seen Jesus oh so clearly. So I was thinking over this passage this week. 
a familiar hymn just came back to my mind over and over again. Maybe you've even thought of it this morning. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Bartimaeus seized his opportunity. That day, that one day when Jesus walked down that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, Bartimaeus said, this is my time. This is the day. And he called out, don't pass me by, Jesus, son of David. I need your mercy. Maybe that day is today for you. Maybe today you've heard. And in hearing, you've seen. And in seeing, now believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, we pray that in the power of your spirit, you would work these words in our hearts and our lives that, Lord, we may see clearly. We may call boldly. We may live faithfully. Lord, I pray for the one today that feels like they're insignificant, that no one notices them, no one cares about them. They're in such a low spot that they, they don't ever think, believe that there's hope. Lord, today I pray that they would realize that Jesus stops for those who call upon his name. And today, Lord, they would call out Father, I pray, Lord, for the one today that's troubled by their sin, that perhaps they've realized that they deserve nothing good, deserve nothing at all. But today, Lord, they would call out for mercy and realize that, Lord, your supply is bountiful. Lord, your word has gone out. Father, I pray that your spirit would do that which I can't. Open blinded eyes. Cause hearts to see your glory today and believe. And Lord, for all that you do, we will praise you and we will thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.